Thank you for the invitation to be here and uh, really sort of um, sort of stimulated by the conversation thus far. What I thought I would focus on, and, and I'm hearing um, elements of this come up in, in the talk, um, I guess I should say first, again, uh, Craig Watkins, University of Texas at Austin, I focused a lot in my research over the years on the intersection between structural inequality and the technology sector in various forms in terms of adoption, in terms of design and development of socio-technical systems uh, like AI, uh, smartphones, et cetera, instead of thinking about their implications uh, in the context of marginalized populations and some of the, the kind of paradoxes that are associated with their exposure to uh, engagement with, and in, in some cases, right, uh, victimization you know, by these very same systems. And I've written about this in, in a number of, of different venues, uh, most notably, I guess, I guess books that I've, that I've worked on. But anyway, um, I just spent the past year, so as Millie mentioned, here at the University of Texas at Austin, the Good Systems uh, Grand Challenge, bringing together researchers across uh, different disciplines to sort of think about these questions uh, that are, uh, I think, resonating here around uh, ethical AI, responsible AI, what I would call equity-centered uh, AI. Others might refer to it as, as fair AI. And then just spent the last year at MIT working on some similar issues with a few of my colleagues there on a number of different projects. So I guess what I'd like to focus on, right, is just what I see and have seen over the years, just in general, and certainly in terms of the context of my research as well, is this interesting um, sort of paradox as it relates to power and how that gets expressed in our data-driven uh, society. And what I mean by that specifically, right, is sort of thinking about marginalized populations relationship to database industries and, and namely, right, thinking about internet and the big tech companies who dominate this space around the world. So on the one hand, what we've seen, um, despite, you know, theories and research, and I too have participated in some of this about, you know, the digital divide, what we've seen is marginalized populations, uh, it's, uh, racially and ethnically marginalized populations, gender and, and, and sexuality, uh, marginalized populations, uh, et cetera sort of mobilize around these technologies uh, to gain voice, uh, to gain power, uh, to build community, uh, and in some respects, um, you know, have significant influence. And I'll focus specifically right on the case of African-Americans, but you could certainly use other populations who have been similarly marginalized throughout history uh, and make a case for how they too uh, have adopted and deployed these systems in ways that try to attend to the kinds of structural inequities that have such a dominant impact and influence on the quality of their lived experience uh, and opportunities. But more specifically here, right, thinking about uh, the rise of things like Black Twitter or Black TikTok, Black Lives Matters, and the degree to which these have become incredibly sort of influential uh, forms of digital expression, digital community building, uh, digital agency, that in some ways kind of uh, refute uh, some of these notions about um, uh, the digital divide, some of these notions about marginalization in the digital space. And yet at the same time, right, that we've seen this amassing of what we might call significant cultural uh, influence or cultural power in terms of how we understand these technologies. In fact, in terms of how these technologies even understand themselves, right? So if you had talked to the designers or the creators of Twitter, uh, the designers or the creators of TikTok or any other platform, you name it, the likelihood that they could have predicted Right, that those technologies would be adopted by these marginalized populations and then deploy in massively inventive and creative ways, they never could have predicted that. And yet that's certainly what has happened. And so what you see, right, is a, is a really interesting kind of flow, if you will, in terms of influence, uh, cultural influence 
in the sort of digital world. And so Black expressive culture, Black popular culture, as it gets articulated via Black Twitter, as it gets articulated via a Black a TikTok, and certainly right on the political end of the spectrum, explicitly political end of the spectrum, mass demonstrations, mobilization, voices, uh, sort of rising up against the powers that be, you know, the emergence of something like Black Lives Matters. And all of these things have become certainly global in scope and then take on really interesting dimensions based on how they get adopted uh, and sort of replicated in other kinds of contexts. So that's that's sort of one uh, side of the paradox that I uh, that I want to note here. The other side, of course, right, is that the communities that I've mentioned, right, those who sort of drive Black Twitter, those who have built, engaged, and sort of sustained Black TikTok, those who have built Black Lives Matters over the years, enormous cultural uh, power and influence, but virtually no sort of uh, financial power influence in terms of how these tech companies operate and function, and certainly in terms of how they operate and function both as economic enterprises, but I think for our purposes here, in terms of how they also uh, operate and function as infrastructures, how they operate and function as broader influencers and shapers of this wider uh, digital economy. So the comments by Omar earlier, I thought the exchange between you two is really interesting because I think you're both getting at right this paradox. So on, on the one hand, marginalized populations amassing a considerable degrees and expressions of power and influence in these spaces, and yet still being marginalized in terms of how these spaces are organized as enterprises, in terms of how these spaces are organized as socio-technical systems, right? In terms of the policies, the practices, database policies and database practices that govern, right, how these organizations function and operate, having very little, if any, influence, very little, if any, power and control over those decision-making processes, which in some ways, right, shape how these enterprises function more broadly uh, speaking. And so that's, that's so my provocation to you, and really interested, right, in, in sort of your thoughts and reactions to this. My provocation, right, is how can those communities and populations that historically have been marginalized before, during, and, and since, right, the rise of, of our digital economy, how can they transform, right, cultural influence? in terms of adoption, in terms of expression, uh, in terms of the ways in which these socio-technical systems operate sort of in the everyday world, how can they transform that, that cultural influence into something broader, right, that begins to shape infrastructure, that begins to shape policy, that begins to shape practices, uh, in fact, that begins to sort of reshape how we think about the role of these entities, how we think about the data-driven industries, data-driven economies in society today. You know, I come increasingly to sort of recognize in my own work that despite the, the sort of immediacy of the moment and, and the emergence of AI in the, in the last 10 years or so, and, and the fact that it's, it's becoming more and more prominent in our lives, we are still right at the, at the early, early, early stages of this. And so the world that we've created now, the vision that we've created now to drive how these systems work in society, it doesn't have to be that way. And so part of what I'm suggesting or, or part of my provocation to you is what kinds of voices what kinds of experiences and what kinds of expertise can bring new visions, new ideas, new concepts, new models to how an AI-based society or a database society, data-driven economy might look like? Uh, and what is it that we as a society, what is it that, that we as a population would like to see prioritized, right, in terms of these systems uh, and how they operate? And so from that perspective, I think another kind of provocation is this issue of, of AI and data literacy. And how do we begin to build uh, a world population that's much more literate in terms of both the, the broader possibilities of these systems, but also understands, right, the, the, 
the sort of perils of these systems as well. And I think that becomes a critical aspect in terms of how we engage communities, how we engage stakeholders, how we engage activists, how we engage young people to begin to ask these questions and begin to sort of think about, you know, a new world, a new vision, and a new kind of possibility for how these systems may function and operate in society. So it's, uh, I think it's a, we're in an interesting moment and, and I'm hopeful that we will begin to create space, discourse, practices, a sense of agency that allows us to understand, right, that we are at the very beginning of this and that there's a, a long way to go and that we should participate in how this conversation unfolds uh, and what its impacts might be downstream.